Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Art of Escaping by Erin Callahan. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like Collaborative Bell Ringers. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And we are joined today by our guest, Jennifer Roop. Hi, Jen. Hi, ladies. Jen is the executive director of the Guilford Green Foundation in Greensboro, North Carolina. The Guilford Green Foundation works to support the needs of the LGBTQ plus community in Greensboro and Guilford County. Jen, will you share some of the work you're doing there? First of all, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, so I'm the executive director of Guilford Green Foundation, and we provide philanthropy and programming for the LGBTQ community here in Greensboro, North Carolina, Guilford County, and our surrounding areas. So we provide grant funding for programs that provide services and resources for the LGBTQ community, as well as operate our local LGBTQ community center, which is a safe and affirming space for all LGBTQ people to just have a safe place to be, connect with community, and participate in other programs that we offer. And you have some special stuff going for teens, right? Yes, we do provide programming specifically for youth 19 and under. We have a youth night on Wednesday nights. Uh, We just try to provide opportunities for youth to connect with each other in a safe and affirming space and also a place for parents and kids to find resources uh, to help on their journey wherever they are coming out or, you know, just living their true lives as an LGBTQ person. That sounds great. And before we started recording, you mentioned that you were working on developing a library. Yes, that's one of the exciting projects that we're launching in July of this year, actually, with a grant from a local foundation called the Community Foundation of Greater Greensboro. We received a grant to start a LGBTQ library. I think it's particularly important to preserve literature that is for, about, and by LGBTQ um, authors in the LGBTQ community. So we're really excited to launch our library this year. That sounds really cool. So like, if we want to donate a book to your library, how would we go about doing that? Uh, We're in the process right now of collecting books. Um, So we're taking donations for our library. We have an Amazon wish list, but we're also taking gently used books uh, from our local community as well as um, our community far and wide. If you want to, you know, help us out by stocking our library with your favorite LGBTQ themed book, you can do that by checking out our Amazon wish list. And we hope that once we get our library up and running, that we will be able to have uh, queer book clubs. And so we're just waiting to get all of our shelves filled up and then start reading and discussing books as a community. And if you are interested in helping Jen and the Guilford Green Foundation out, you can find that information in our show notes. That's all excellent stuff. Uh, And Jen has also been a friend of ours for a very long time who we have always talked about books with. So Jen, what's the favorite book that you have read this year? So my favorite book that I've read is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I love this book because it deals with 
family, family dynamics, culture, class, you know, what family really means. And it's all set in like suburbia in the 90s. And so the author really uses like music and things like from when I grew up, which just is a nice added element, like because it takes the phones and text messages kind of out of the story and has these kids interacting with each other. Uh, And it is written from a teen perspective, although it's not a YA book. The main character is a teen. It really digs into some deep issues, but sets it in a really relatable setting for me anyway. I just, I loved it. It deals with some heavier topics, but absolutely Paige Turner could not put it down. And Jen, I always associate you with really literary novels, which is why I thought this would be a great fit for you. So let's uh, jump into The Art of Escaping. The Art of Escaping by Erin Callahan is about 17-year-old Maddie, who flies under the radar despite her parents' push to be more exceptional and well-rounded. The thing is, she's only really ever had a passionate interest in escapology. When she works up the courage to seek out the daughter of a legendary escape artist, a new world is open to her, one of handcuffs and straitjackets and death-defying stunts for a live audience. But when Will, her high school basketball team's golden boy, sees her perform, she feels like her secret is about to come crashing down around her. But Will has secrets too, and Maddie learns that everyone's hiding their truest truths. So Amanda, what did you think of this book? I very much enjoyed this book. I really liked it from the beginning. I liked Maddie's voice. I thought it was a really unique voice for YA fiction that really showed her as a character out of time in a lot of sense and not just in the way we sometimes see where, oh, she really likes vintage dresses or whatever. I mean, that was part of it as well, but I I feel like her character all around uh, was a really good sort of out of time teenager and will as well the way that his voice was written. So I really enjoyed that part of the book. Yeah, I felt that too. Like, Maddie has a secret. Okay, we read books all the time about main characters who have secrets. But, like, how cool is it that her secret is that she does escapology? How about you, Jen? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I really agree with this. I thought it was a really fresh perspective on a really common high school dynamics, like, trope. You know, you had all the main characters in there. You had kind of the outsider girl and and Maddie. You had the jock guy with Will. You had the mean girl. You had the smart girl. Like, everybody was represented from that trope, but it was a really fresh perspective. It just, it didn't feel like I was reading the same story that I've read a thousand times. Yeah, I said to Amanda after I first read this, wow, I've never read anything like that. So it definitely lived up to the elevator pitch of like, oh, this is a book where she wants to be an escape artist. Like I think about that and it still makes me smile. How creative. So Amanda, you kind of hinted at this, but we have a split perspective book. So we have Will's narrative voice and Maddie's narrative voice. And then we also have interspersed diary entries written by Akiko, who is the world-renowned escape artist who has since passed away. And her daughter, Miyu, becomes Maddie's mentor. So we have Akiko providing the historical context of escapology and kind of making the central metaphor really obvious. And I love this from her diary entry when she is doing an interview with a news show. The journalist says, do you ever get scared? Of course, I replied with a smile. What I do is very risky. It can be a matter of life and death. 
But there's also a deep sense of serenity. There's a moment just before I free myself that feels so small and yet so big at the same time. It lasts for just a second, sometimes less, but it encompasses everything. And I love how Akiko provides this perspective on what escapology was to her, and it provides us some grounding and framework to kind of understand where Maddie's coming from. Because Maddie's had this obsession for a long time with escapology, but like we haven't. So it's really cool that we get to like catch up through Akiko's perspective. Yeah, I like that a lot too. And I liked in general how Maddie sought out escapology, like how she was interested in it for a long time, but didn't actually seek it out until she lost some of her other safety net. Like until she had this sad thing that was her best friend going off to nerd camp or whatever, and then she doesn't have anything to do with her summer. Uh, Everyone's laughing at me for saying nerd camp, but it's nerd camp. I went to nerd camp. I get to say nerd camp. So she goes and she seeks out Miu, who I really enjoyed. I thought she was a lot of fun character as this just prickly, agoraphobic mentor. And one of my favorite quotes in the whole book that I laughed out loud when I read it was, uh, Miu scoffed. You think this is bad? Wait until I try to cure you of your claustrophobia. I don't have claustrophobia. That's what you think. <laughs> I feel like this is like <laughs> a perfect description of her character. And I love the Miyu character in general, but like, yeah, like that was pretty hardcore. Like when you stop thinking about it, like as this novel and like, think about like this grown woman locking a teenager in a trunk. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just bizarre, right? Like, I think that's what makes the use of escapology in this novel so interesting because it is just, there is nothing common about this. Like there, there is nothing like this that you normally read. You know, if you saw that on TV, like adult woman locks teenager in trunk to teach them the art of escapology, we would be like, what is this person doing? But when in the context of this novel, it's just like, wow, like, you know, this is how you learn lessons. Like sometimes you have to be pushed outside of your comfort zone to like really learn what your limits are. And I just think that was a great way to show some of Maddie's growth in that area. Yeah, I really love that. I loved also the way that the author introduced Maddie's brother, Kyle, who's just kind of this like underachieving dude who was a student athlete and then he blew out his knees. So he's adrift. And, you know, Maddie also has Stella, who Amanda said went to nerd camp and and just these like really focused characters that come in and out of the novel. And it's not like 50 supporting characters. It's like four really good ones. I loved that level of concentration. I agree with that. I really love the character development of the supporting characters. And I think the sibling relationship between Maddie and Kyle was like very well done. Yeah. So I wrote on my notes, I'm just going to share this because I'm super proud of it, y'all. But like I said that the narrative was really tight and the world was rich in a small space. And then I went, oh, my God, it's like claustrophobia. So, like, form-following oh content. I know. So smart. That's an amazing observation. It's like the whole reason she started the podcast was so she could have yeah. strangers be like, oh, what a great point. You're so smart. So yeah. much insight. What an excellent pun. Here's your cookie. Or your homemade ice cream. From the last <laughs> <week's> episode. <laughs> Call back. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. And when we come back, we'll share about things we like latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of the art of escaping and dig a little deeper.
Support for this podcast comes from Audible. Audible is offering listeners of the YA Cafe a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook to get you started. Y'all, I love audiobooks. I listen to them all the time, whether I am grocery shopping or in the car or on a walk with Padfoot. It's just one more way to get more books in my day. Check us out at audibletrial.com slash YA Cafe. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda, I finished a great book, The Loneliest Girl in the Universe by Lauren James. It is about a girl who is on a spaceship, and we know from the jump that she's the only one on the spaceship. Her parents are dead. That's kind of like where we enter the story. And it ticked all the boxes to be totally creepy to me. It gave me vibes of like The Martian by Andy Weir, which is really funny. Like, so this book, you know, had some humor and she like builds sculptures out of her empty food packets because she's so bored, right? But also Hints of World War Z by Max Brooks, which is a fabulous book that everybody should read and has nothing to do with the movie except for zombies, but that's a tangent. But there's this chapter in World War Z where during the zombie apocalypse, we get the POV of someone on the International Space Station watching the world be destroyed below. And that's kind of the vibe that I got from Loneliest Girl in the Universe. And my heart just sort of like hurt for her. And it was chilling, but also funny. I don't know. The balance was just really fabulous on this novel. Loneliest Girl in the Universe by Lauren James. How about you, Jen? So the thing that I like a latte this week is, so I finally bit the bullet and bought a robotic vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had put it off for a long time because I was like, well, is it really going to work? I mean, you know, is my house really that dirty? The answer is yes to both of those things. Um, so I named my robotic vacuum cleaner. Her name is Buffy the Dust Bunny Slayer. Oh, yeah. And she's doing an amazing job. She's just a great new addition to our little family. And I love having a robot back in my rugs now. It's amazing. Everybody should get one. And how about you, Amanda? My favorite Pixar movie has always been The Incredibles. I love it so much. It's so fun. And Incredibles 2 just came out. I don't know if you heard. It's kind of like this indie release flick. But uh, it is so good. I loved it as much as, if not more, than the original. Like, one of the things I love about The Incredibles is the way that they animate the superpowers and use the superpowers creatively. I really hate that in superhero movies, often you have all of these incredibly powerful people who just, like, punch each other and throw each other around. And I'm like, that is not creative at all. Like, you have godlike powers and you're just punching each other. But in, in Incredibles, they really really use the superpowers and it makes it such a visually engaging way of like telling the stories and communicating their powers and actually like using the abilities that the superhero genre can give you that other genres cannot and I definitely recommend it if you liked the first one or if you're really into like great superhero movies Incredibles 2 so much fun we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll return to our discussion on the art of escaping the rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back after this quick break.
Welcome back, y'all, to YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on The Art of Escaping by Aaron Callahan. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And drowning. Well, almost drowning. So let's start off with Will's mysterious secret. This is hinted at in the blurb, and Will has a secret. Whatever could it be? Will's gay! What? I don't like it. I mean, like, obviously, I don't dislike that Will is gay. I tend to be okay with gay people. But, like, (laughs) uh, I don't like when a spoiler or a secret that a character is gay. Right. We talked about this in One of Us is Lying in episode three. This definitely wasn't as bad as that. So I have a different perspective on Will being gay. I definitely don't think it's, like, used as just a plot point. And maybe some of this just comes from, like, my own personal history. But I came out in high school. And so I could really identify with Will's character. And I I don't know. I didn't see, like, his being gay as, you know, like, this plot point or, like, tokenism of the LGBTQ community. I saw it as a really real experience, um, really similar to my own growing up in, you know, a small southern town and knowing that I was gay. That was just very real for me. Like, it was some of the things that I also experienced. And I really liked this. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think it was just used as a plot point. In general, it just kind of, like, sits wrong with me when it's, like, a secret that is revealed about a character. Um, But I don't think it was done poorly in this book. I think it's other books baggage that I'm bringing into it. But I think right. that, like, I think that Will's character was good. I I don't think that he was, like, tokenized or, or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, the specifics of it being, like, a secret. But isn't that what coming out is all about? Like, you know, you come out in stages, right? Like, you don't just wake up one day and, like, literally burst out of your closet and go, I'm queer, I'm here. You know, it took a lot of guts and courage for him to reveal that to Maddie. And he regretted it. Like, he had all these, like, fears. Like, what does this mean? You know, they made their mutual destruction pact. And so I really read his coming out as really realistic. Like, I thought it did a really good job of showing the progression of a teenager coming out. Yeah, so there is this moment that I really liked after he came out to Maddie, which was very challenging for him. He came out to Stella and he was like, oh, that was easy. So he had already kind of gotten to the point where it was a little bit easier for him. He does have Maddie to support him when he comes out to his parents and that goes decently and he recognizes that he has it better than a lot of kids in regards to his like understanding parents. Um, The thing about his parents that he has always been hesitant about is not that they would like throw him out of the house, which is a very real concern for a lot of kids, but rather that his mom was so into transgressive culture that she kind of put, according to Will, gay men on a pedestal. And as soon as he came out, she was super excited that he would no longer be boring. I resent that as a boring gay person (laughs) or as a boring (laughs) queer person. (laughs) I definitely don't think that Will is a token. Will is a completely developed character. He is funny and that is so necessary because in this split narrative, Maddie is serious and focused and constantly thinking about escapology and you know, her adrift brother and things like that. And Will is like the breath of fresh air. 
I really liked in Will's narration how even before you really know anything about him, he's like calling people like, oh, that's such a cool cat. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's totally secure with his love of like vintage things and jazz and sewing. Like he doesn't really like fashion. He likes physically constructing the clothing. And I thought that that was really unique. And he loves Maddie. Like he didn't really talk to her before at school. But once he sees her act, which he has been dragged along to by his parents, who are totally into counterculture, once he sees her act, he's like hypnotized by her self-confidence and her way of being. That's the magic of Maddie. She resides at that strange little way station between stark reality and larger-than-life fantasy. She wants so much more than just the facts, ma'am. She lives for those miraculous moments when you stumble upon something that's somehow truer than truth. Great quote. Yeah, I just love that he, like, sees her in this way. I definitely don't think she sees herself in this way. No, and I think that's one of the things that I like about the split perspectives of this book is that we all have feelings about ourselves, and it's hard to think about how other people see us. But I think this book does an excellent job of showing like some of the same events from multiple perspectives so that you really understand, you know, how each character sees themselves and then how their actions are perceived by the other people in the book. And I think that the actual like first time that they sit in the car together and Will comes out to her after he sees Maddie's first escape act. I think that's a perfect example. They had very different perspectives of how that event went. And that's one of the things that I like so much about this book. Can we talk about the actual escapes? Because I think yes. she should have failed one. Thoughts? Well, would she have died if she had failed one? No, I mean, they would have fished her out. You mean like failed one of her live audience escapes? Yeah. I mean, like it felt like, I don't know. It did seem a little unrealistic that she was so good at it, like so fast. No, right? no, because she spent hours and hours and hours and hours practicing, y'all. Like, so Mew threw her in the pool with weights on, like that's practice all the times that Miu, it really sounds like there's like an abusive relationship here, but all the times that Miu is like, pick all the locks on this table before you can have dinner. Like, that's all practice. Yeah, but I that's still true. think that it just generally lowered the stakes. Like, as the book went on, I felt myself less and less wrapped in it because I felt the stakes getting lower and lower. Because you know she's not going to screw up the last escape when her brother's there to see with every escape that she does successfully, you know that, like, at no point is it going to really get hard for her. Like, and I think everything just worked out too well for her. So it, it kind of pulled me away from the book. Like, I stopped being, like, worried with her success and relationships and things because everything was just working out. I mean, the first escape almost failed, right? When she saw Will in the audience and she freaked out and she dropped her bobby pin and like took time to get together and that was an almost failure and even Miu said like I was totally nervous for you you can't go back in there and Maddie was like no I have to do this for me it was the almost failures that really worked like I think if all her escapes had gone off without a hitch like that would have been really boring but what I really liked Besides the fact that the escapes were, like we've said before, just a really cool way to tell this story, 
I think what I liked most was that in every escape, there was a point in time where Maddie, you know, panicked a little bit or had a little bit of doubt and had to like calm herself and go back to, you know, that muscle memory from training. But what that conveyed to the audience was this level of like vulnerability. And so I really liked that. It made me think about it as more than a stunt and like really think about escapology as an art form. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the metaphor, Maddie's escaping, but it's nice. It's a fun metaphor. Danny, can't you see? Escaping is a metaphor. (laughs) All right. Before we kind of leave this podcast, I know this didn't go organically in our conversation about Will's sexuality and LGBTQ representation in literature, but I did want to shout out a great article that I found this week. Melinda Lowe, the author of Ash and other great books, has compiled just an enormous amount of data over the last like six or seven years. And she presents it in a piece called LGBTQYA by the numbers. And she basically charts the number of LGBTQ plus main characters in YA fiction from the five major publishing houses over the last six or seven years. So we are definitely seeing growth in representation, but there's still more to do. And I think one of the things that, you know, catches you up, Amanda, is like, if this were one of a thousand stories with a gay boy, it was very different, but we still have like the weight of representation each time we see a queer character. Also, one of the things about the article that you mentioned that is worth pointing out is that we're getting a lot better with gay, white, cis boy representation and not so great with a lot of other things. Right. So Melinda Lowe goes and she charts, you know, like we have this label, which is LGBTQ books, but like how many of them are T books or Q books? We have a lot of G books, like a lot of Simon's right and Simon is great but he's not the only story yeah yeah Danny you're absolutely right I mean that article you read makes a very valid point because trans women and people of color face like higher rates of suicide and violence against them and so if we're not telling their stories then you know we're really doing a disservice to our community And that's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Jen. Yay, Jen. Yay, thank you for having me. You can find out more about Jen's projects at guilfordgreenfoundation.org. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.